This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and it is a special series of brief studies addressed to young believers. We have just read in our meeting a portion of Galatians 3 and 4. Owing to the pressure of time, I was not able to introduce that reading into this study. But I do suggest to you who are listening uh, that either you stop now or after the series is over, you do read chapter 3 and 4 of Galatians because that will help you to understand some of the things to which I should have to allude. Now, you will remember that in our last studies together, we were dealing with the things that differ, the meaning of the term rightly dividing the word of truth, and then the results what do we mean by dispensational truth? And what are dispensations? You see, it's all to do with the subdividing of the scripture into its callings and its uh, aspects. Well now, I want to take that a stage further today. As far as I can see in scripture, there are three spheres of blessing. They belong to the redeemed. There's no difference between the redemption of one person and another, whatever you're calling. Uh, but there are some who are going to inherit the earth. That's scripture. Abundant reference in the Old Testament that the earth is to blossom and bud and to be blessed and be enjoyed by those who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the earth. But then we also find that Abraham himself, although he had the gift of the earth given to him unconditionally, he looked for a city that was heavenly. And we get introduced into the New Testament, not only Jerusalem on the earth, but Jerusalem which is above, the heavenly Jerusalem. And there are a good many Christians who believe that to be the goal of their hopes, and they have their hymn books where they're going through the pearly gates and walk in the golden streets. And believe me, you and I are not worthy to go through those gates or walk those streets. And yet... We believe the scripture points us one stage higher that there is another sphere of blessing which is as beyond the possibility of the uh, heavenly Jerusalem and infinitely above the inheritance of the earth. For it is no less than where Christ sits at the right hand of God far above all principality, far above all heavens. Three spheres of blessing. Well, how are you going to in any measure deal with that unless you start with Genesis and go right through to the book of the Revelation? And that, I don't see how you could get in 20 minutes. But there is one expression which, if understood, can act as a key. And that is what I want to do in these two meetings. And that expression is the word adoption. Now, first of all, the word adoption does not have the same significance in the Bible as it does today. It's not adopting some waif and stray, but it is appointing someone either within the limits of your own family or just on the outside of those limits, appointing that one person by making of a will and appointing him as the heir. The word adoption is made up of two parts in the original, Huios meaning a son, and Thessia from Tithibi to place, to place as a son. Well, you don't speak about a child being born as being placed. The child is already born. 
is already in the family, but now God has appointed him to be the heir, appointing of the son. And now that is where Galatians comes in. And I've said you ought to read chapter 3. Because if you look at Galatians chapter 3, he says in verse 15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Well, there is referring to what was common knowledge, that in Galatia and in the Greek cities, the making of a will was something that had to be seriously thought of, because when once it was confirmed at the notaries, it couldn't be altered. Now, that is not true of making of a will today in this country. You can make a will and you might leave me a nice little legacy, you see. And then one of these Sunday afternoons I say something that upsets your apple cart and you go to monitor your solicitor and you cut me out again, you see. Well, you couldn't do that in Galatia. You had to be very seriously concerned as to what you were doing because when once it was fixed, unalterable. Now, that was appointing the heir to carry on the inheritance support the priesthood, all the temple, all were involved in it. The whole nation was involved in that tribe, inheritance, and whatnot. There's a little bit of the same feeling in the Old Testament. Well now, supposing I can show you, by the scriptures, that there are three distinct callings, and each one of them have got the firstborn's position. Well, you've either got to say, well, that makes nonsense. Or you've got to say, that refers to three families. I mean, supposing you were to point out somebody walking along, an elderly man, and you say, he's got three firstborn sons. At first the person may say, three firstborn sons, how's he manage that? Oh, I see, he's been married three times. Yes. Well, that's a very poor illustration. But God has a family on earth. He has a family in the heavenly Jerusalem. And he has a family at the right hand of God, Father above all. They're all redeemed. But they are separate families. And in each case, there's one group which has the firstborn's position and the others are subsidiary. Now, I think it's time to turn to Scripture. So when you turn back to Romans, the ninth chapter. And you will see on this chart that although I haven't set out every feature that is going to be read, I've set out the way in which it is constructed. He speaks, as you will notice, in verse 3, of his brethren, Paul is speaking. And in case you don't know that his brethren are particularly the people of Israel, he says, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, there are some folks who speak of spiritual Israel. There are others who say that we, British people, are Israelites. But this is specific. My brethren, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now, there's no possibility of missing your mark here. They were the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh. Right. Now, what's the very first blessing which he enumerates? To whom pertaineth the adoption? The very first thing he puts. And then the glory and the covenants. And the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And then he says, Whose are the fathers? And of whom as concerning the flesh is back again, Christ came, who is over all, God, blessed forever. One of those extraordinary passages that Christ, according to the flesh, is God, blessed forever. Wonderful. But that's not our theme. You see? Now, there's no one else 
can possibly be in that adoption but those who are Israelites according to the flesh. Not one they should do despite of this writing of scripture. This is exclusive. He says, I'm concerned about my brethren, my brethren according to the flesh, who are Israelites, and to them pertain the adoption. So that in the flesh, there's no possibility of competing with Israel. Now you remember when Moses went back to Pharaoh in Egypt, God said to him, you tell Pharaoh to let my firstborn go. Now that firstborn was the nation of Israel. But of course there were 70 nations already enumerated in Genesis before ever there was an Israelite. So it couldn't mean that they were the first nation that ever existed. They were the first in priority, given that honour by God selecting them from all the nations of the earth. So that now we've got the adoption, giving them the firstborn's position, and the rest of the nations were subsidiary. Now, of course, I ought to be able to turn to passages like you get in Isaiah, that um, you shall be a kingdom of priests, and the nations of the earth shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers and so on. You, know, you remember that we've got those distinctions. So there, we have an adoption, an inheritance, a firstborn's position, and it belongs particularly to Israel according to the flesh and can have no possible relationship to you or to me. Well now we've already looked at Galatians and it tells us there that those who are in this second calling because I'd like you to notice in Galatians chapter 4 he has his eye on the heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians 4 verse 26 But Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all so he's already got Jerusalem above in mind. And he says, oh no, those, those who are now baptized into Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're not on the ground of the flesh here. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't say now when it says neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither man nor female, that it's still on the ground of the flesh because that makes it nonsense. So here's another calling. And these have the adoption, as you see, in chapter 4, when it says um, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are heirs of God through Christ. But I want to leave that, because this is picked up again in the doctrinal part of Romans. Romans 9, we looked at just now, is dealing with Israel's particular position. But Romans 8 is dealing with this second phase of the calling. And you get adoption twice in chapter 8. He says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We had that expression in Galatians. So evidently, it's a distinctive term. The word Abba, Father, only comes three times in the New Testament. The only other passage is recording the language of our Saviour in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Abba, Father. It's only used in the New Testament of those who have the adoption. In Galatians, only the, the ones who are, uh, have got the adoption can look up and say, Abba, Father. In, Gal in Romans, 
Only those who have the adoption can say, Abba, Father. But you say, what does it mean? I thought Abba meant Father. Well, the peculiar spelling of the word Abba here, for some reason, was segregated by the uh, early teachers among Israel, and they forbade that anyone who was a slave, they forbade the use of that term by anyone except a, a free Israelite. And so that was adopted by the apostle to say, you see, we're not dealing with slaves. We're dealing with firstborn sons. They have the, the right, and they alone have the right to say, Abba, Father, the adoption. Well then, you see, that means to say now in verse 15, we've got the spirit of adoption. Now the spirit of adoption means you've got something which is a sort of earnest, but you haven't got the reality. Uh, what does he mean by the reality? Well, he's going to explain in the same chapter of the 8th. So let's go on a little bit, shall we? He says in verse um, 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage. You see, the bondage is coming in again. Verse 15, We have not received the spirit of bondage, we are to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And this is not exactly in line with our teaching, but it's something which is waiting for us. We belong to a groaning creation. We who are delivered and are Christians belong to a groaning creation. We ourselves have the aches and the pains uh, which the ungodly man suffers to many degrees. We, there's no possibility of shutting our eyes to it. But here's another thought. God is not looking on without in some measure sharing that. Have you realised that? The next time we read about groaning, it's by the Spirit of God himself, if you will look, and it says, at the end of verse, uh, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what that we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So God is not indifferent to the groan of creation. And he says to you and me, you're not going to be exempt from it yet. You will be. We're all waiting. Creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, I'll pick it up again now then. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, the outsiders, but ourselves also. We, who have the first fruit of the Spirit. What's that? Why the Spirit of adoption? That's the first fruit. Pledge of the harvest that's coming. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. And what's that? The redemption of our body. That's resurrection. So you see, adoption is still looking forward to this consummation and is associated with the second phase of calling. Well now, before our time is up, I must turn to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if, in case anyone should think that the epistle to the Ephesians is addressed to Israel according to the flesh, I must read Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12. These are the ones to whom Ephesians is addressed. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, now if that's not an absolute contrast with Israel in the flesh, 
How else could it be put? Romans 9 is Israel in the flesh. Ephesians 2 is Gentiles in the flesh. Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That's Israel. That at that time ye were without Christ. Romans 9 says, And of, of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. Here's a people that were anticipating the coming of Christ. But here, in this chapter, they had no such hope. No Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. You remember in Romans 9, to them pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants. Having no hope and without God in the world. Well, there are those folks that are now being addressed. Now, they have the adoption. So, will you look at Ephesians 1, verse 5? Or verse 2 says that this company were chosen before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, what I've sought to establish in this first study is that the word adoption means a firstborn's position. And there are three different companies in the New Testament that have the firstborn's position. And that most surely indicates three spheres. I'll just repeat them. On the earth we have Israel according to the flesh, they have the adoption and nobody else. Then those who are looked at as following in the steps of their father Abraham, with the heavenly calling in view, the heavenly city in view, they have the adoption. That's number two. And then we have the outsiders like ourselves at this present moment, who are distinctly said to be Gentiles in the flesh, in contrast to my brethren according to the flesh who are Israelites, they have the adoption. So that now we are prepared to see that the Bible has committed itself to three spheres of blessing and when we pick up our study in a few minutes time we shall have to then go into the scriptures to see a few passages which substantiate that. For the moment we'll just have to call a halt and leave you with these three occurrences of this great key word adoption as a sort of guide for your private study. <laughs>